0: Thank you, Anton. Uh, good morning. My name is Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Greentree, uh, and I am thoroughly uh, encouraged by your baptism this morning. I saw you high-five Mr. Owens in the back of the room just a minute ago. Do you know that you share the same birthday as him? Do you know today's his birthday, too? You, how, how old do you think he is? Because I know. <laughs> just just take a shot at it. What, 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 just give me a guess. 40 how many? 48? You're very close. He's 50. He do not want anybody to know that. Oh, I'm sorry, Bruce. You don't want anybody to know you were... 50 today. I apologize. So 41 years before you were born, he was born. Really? Anybody else have a birthday while we're at it it's today? If so, Tom's it your birthday or Tom Wilson's birthday, who is not yet 50. I know that for sure. Well, uh, happy birthday and, and what, a, what a delight uh, to celebrate Believer's Baptism at Green Tree. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to uh, Romans chapter 5. Uh, we're forging right ahead in our study in the book of Romans. Now we're going to look at the first five verses this morning uh, of that particular text. I was watching the president speak earlier this week, and um, it, it reminded me of how much presidents age while they're in office. Uh, if, you, if you look at a picture of uh, you know, George Bush when he started in office and, and eight years later when he came out of office, uh, you see the stark difference in his appearance. Uh, and President Obama, I guess, has, has been in office now going on. Um, th- it's a hard job on people. You, you, you see the, the, the stress uh, that such a, a huge responsibility brings. The, re- the reason I bring it up as we go into chapter 5 this morning is because I was thinking about when you first come to faith and, and Addie's such a, a wonderful representation of that this morning. And, and maybe you think back about the time when you first met Christ, if, if you know Him, if, if you're a believer in Him, if you're one of His disciples this morning. You think about uh, how great that day was. You think about uh, how blue the sky may have seen, and that the, the sun was shining, you know, the, the birds were singing. There was a new life That was born into your heart and the way Anton explained it is exactly exactly right Uh, And you think about a a president making that first speech on on the first moments of his tenure as president How filled with excitement and anticipation and and commitment and 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 looking forward to the opportunity and then and then you look a few years later And and you see how some of the 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 challenges have have weighed down on him And I I think about that in the terms of the christian faith Uh, over the years uh, disciples of jesus who 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 maybe became uh christians as a young person or maybe in their early adulthood and now they're uh they're getting a little bit older uh, and in a sense how uh, at times we we look and feel somewhat battered uh, somewhat bruised and yet still standing firm uh, i have no doubt that barack obama is just as resolute in his convictions about being president of the united states as he was uh the first day he took office but i would venture to say he is wiser uh, and he has a little more savvy, and he he knows a little bit more about that. And that's come through some of the trials and challenges. And I think the same is true in the Christian faith. I think the growth that takes place in your life and in my life comes through the storms, comes through the difficulties, comes through the, the challenges and the and the trials. I, uh, I read a quote earlier uh, this week uh, that I'll share with you this morning of, of a pastor who was writing about uh, a woman that he knew, and he said, Uh, An older woman in our congregation, over the course of her life, buried three sons. At the funeral of the first, she was a cynic. At the funeral of the second, she called herself a seeker. And at the third, a weeping believer. There's something about the storms of life that God uses in a very significant way, believe it or not, for our spiritual good. How can that be? Well, that's what we want to look at this morning, because I think Paul gives us great insight, inspired through the Holy Spirit, on how this faith actually grows and takes deep hold of our lives and allows us to stand in God's grace even as we face the storms. So Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, hear the word of God. Paul writes, Therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained also by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, excuse me, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning for your Holy Spirit. come and teach us. Father, as we have sung this morning, that we are resting in your grace. We are resting in the love and the mercy of Christ. Father, we have sung this morning that, that we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Father, as we sing those words and as we cry out, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, we don't do that in a vacuum. We don't do that void of life's experiences. And Father, I know there are those of us here this morning that are struggling to stand. We believe in the grace of God. We have put our faith in Christ Jesus. We we don't think we are saved by our good works. We know that it is only through Christ that our hope stands firm. And yet, Father, the, the winds of life, the storms of life at times, and maybe even, even as recently as today seem to be closing in on just knocking us over and getting the better of us. So, Father, I pray this morning that your truth would resonate in our hearts, that what Paul says here would be buried deep into our souls, that we would understand what it means to rejoice not only in the hope that is ours in Christ, but also in some mysterious and profound way to rejoice in suffering because of what it produces in our hearts. Father, I cannot begin to explain this. If you don't come and if you don't open our minds to what you want to say, we will we will, we will miss this. So, Father, I pray that you would help us now to worship in spirit and truth, help us to worship with our minds. Forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want to say to us. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be our teacher. We pray in your name. Amen. We're gonna walk through this text with you this morning and, and, uh, and, and get to the real underlying question of how does God work in our lives through these struggles and through these trials for, uh, for our benefit? for our nurture, for our good, because I would say at times on the surface, it would appear that that's not the case. Um, so I want to begin in verse one, and I want to remind us of the foundation upon which we stand. And the foundation that we stand upon is a foundation that I call uh, we are forgiven and we are also embraced. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says a couple things here. He says, we've been justified by faith. Now, again, I know this is going to maybe sound a bit redundant to you that come faithfully every week, but just as a reminder, mankind is guilty of violating God's perfect law. We stand condemned before him. The penalty that God's justice demands must be met, but through the grace of God, it is met through Christ and his cross. And so we are therefore justified not by our works, but, if, but we are justified by works, but we're justified by the works of Jesus. And so we have faith in what he has done to make us right with God. There are no outstanding warrants On your, on your driver's license, so to speak. Have you ever been pulled over by a police officer for speeding or or running a red light or whatever? Not that that's ever happened to me, uh, in the last couple weeks. Um, but they, but actually it's been, I shouldn't even say this. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a ticket this week. I should have never brought it up. Um, but they take your driver's license and they go back to their squad car. You know what they're doing? They're trying to find out if you're wanted by any other municipality. That's what they're doing. If you're wanted and they take your driver's license, you might I wouldn't really suggest you drive off. You might want to call your lawyer. But God doesn't have any arrest warrants pending. We've been made right in Him. And so our salvation is legally binding between us and between God. We are forgiven. But Paul also says that not only justified by faith, but we have peace with God. Now, peace in these terms don't just mean an absence of hostilities. It doesn't mean that we've just simply stopped shooting at each other and we've agreed that we're not going you know, to kill each other. It's not a, a, a tentative peace. It's not uh, an absence of tension. It's not an uneasy coexistence, but rather it's a new relationship that's born in our hearts through Christ Jesus. And because of him, we're welcomed as God's friends, children in whom he delights. And so Paul says, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus. And then look at the the result of that in verse two. Paul says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul says that the result of our salvation is our rejoicing is a celebration of the fact that God has redeemed us, that God has saved us, that God has made us his own. And so we we are forgiven, we are embraced, we are part of the family, and that is cause to celebrate. Uh, many of us were uh, probably not alive during World War II, but we've all seen images of celebrations that took place at the end of the Second World War. I'm going to give you just a, a couple of them this morning. They may or may not be all that clear. This is actually, uh, it's a very fuzzy picture. The words on the, the paper say peace, and those are soldiers uh, and uh, Navy personnel and nurses who were in uh, the uh, the Pacific Theater when they finally uh, got the newspapers that said that peace had broken out, and they're all you know, standing up and holding, and you probably can't can't see it real clearly, but they're cheering and they're celebrating. Uh, And one more, which is probably the most famous picture of the end of World War II, is this wonderful kiss between the sailor and the nurse in in downtown New York. Uh, But everybody had reason to celebrate. The war was over. Peace had come. And so we come to, to the right conclusion. Paul comes to the right conclusion. He says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So let's just stop there and have the benediction and go home and be happy. But Paul then introduces something unbelievably profound, and he gives us what what I'm going to call a startling new paradigm in which we should observe life in verse 3. He says this more than that, or or, or, it's almost like he's saying we we know the obvious, our suffering, endurance, and so on and so forth. Now, how do we understand this? How can we possibly apply this truth to our life? This seems to be uh, almost too difficult to get our minds around. How can anybody rejoice? How can anyone, uh, and, and rejoice doesn't mean be giddy and be silly, it simply means uh, having a thankful uh, appreciation for what is happening around you. How can we possibly have that mindset when it comes to suffering? Because beyond the joy of verse 2, Paul is giving us a new insight into how to to, to, uh, address and understand the struggles of life. This odd odd command, we we rejoice in our suffering. Well, think about it for just a minute in the context of verses 1 and 2, and I'm not going to go back to them and put them on the screen, but but we know from verse 1 of chapter 5 and really from all of, uh, of the last chapter that we have peace with God through faith in Christ. That's a given. We just said we're going to celebrate that. We, We understand that that means that God is not an avenging enemy. He's not still out to get us, but rather he is a gracious father. He is fully bent on his children's best. Jesus talked to earthly fathers one day and he said, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give you good gifts? We know that about the character of God. That is fully true. And we are assured of peace with God. Therefore, that allows us to have a different reaction to the suffering that comes to our life. And it's what I, it's in the title. It's what I'm calling. This is my own made up version of this. It introduces us to what I'm calling the abrasive Presence of god not the abusive presence of god the abrasive presence of god. What do I mean by that? We rejoice why in suffering. Why is this an appropriate reaction? Because we know the goodness of god in christ jesus Because we know that our father's goal Is our well-being which is equal to spiritual maturity God knows that if we're going to stand firm if we're going to weather the storms of life He knows that we must have a strength of faith that is deep and abiding. And he also knows something else. He knows that this deep faith, this abiding faith, comes through obstacles, not through ease. He understands that it is the sandpaper, not silk, that smooths the rough edges. He knows that it is through the trial that we become more dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his strength and his presence in our lives and less dependent upon our own wisdom and our own knowledge and our, and our own uh, thinking of how the world should be. And we turn to Christ and we lean into him for strength and our faith becomes deeper. And that is the impact that the suffering in our life has. When I, uh, was, I was in college, I played uh, soccer and we hated August. We hated August because we had to come to school about 10 days before everybody else, and we, and we had to have four practices a day in the sweltering heat of the Tennessee sun, and it was absolutely miserable. Nobody liked going to camp. Nobody liked showing up and having those, those, those practices where, you know, it was just, it was miserable. But our coach promised us one thing. He said, if, if you'll trust me in what I'm doing, I can guarantee this. We might play teams that have better skill, but we'll never play a team that's in better shape than us. What was he saying? He's saying it's through the obstacles I put in front of you, it's through the extra running you do, through the through the extra legwork we, we make you do, that you're going to become strong. That's the spiritual principle that Paul is sharing with us this morning. The paradigm through which I need to understand my growth and faith is not an absence of problems. It's not, uh, you know, everything's going great, I must be in good standing with God, but rather it's when the storms come that the Father is saying to me, Child, in my love I'm going to help you abide in me. And you can rejoice, yes, even in the suffering. But, but what is the, the strategy? What is the game plan? How does this actually work out in our lives? And, and I'm calling it kind of a strategy for, for growth. And Paul begins to introduce that uh, in, in verse 3, and he'll go on to talk more about it in, in verse 4. But in verse 3, he says this, suffering produces endurance. So when those struggles come, When the challenges surround you and you respond by trusting in Christ, even, even without all the answers, even, maybe even in in a state of confusion as to why things are happening the way they're happening, one of the things you know for sure is that the Lord Jesus is caring for you and your trust in Him produces endurance that you become fit for the long haul. It's literally, in the English, this is kind of an odd word in the Greek that, that doesn't have a simple translation, but in the English, the closest we would come to it would be, we have staying power. We're going to make it through the long haul. I talked about being in college. I, I quit running after soccer, never, never really ran again ever for like 20 years. And then I decided I wanted to, to at least w- run one road race in my life. So I decided I would run a 5k which is about 3.2 miles or something like that. So all you serious runners don't laugh at me Okay, I know it wasn't much uh, for you guys You could do that running backwards But for somebody like me who had never run before it was quite the challenge And so I got my trainer daughter who knows everything and she explained for me how to do it You know walk a little run a little walk a little kind of did the interval training till I worked up to being able to run for this 5k race, which I completed But boy, oh boy did it take a while to get to get there (laughs) I, I, the first day I started, you know, I ran kind of from our our house. I said, "Well, I'll get down to the end of the street, down to Couch, which is the, the cross street down there, which is three tenths of a mile," and I almost made it <laughs> before I started walking. <laughs> but eventually, I had a circuit that was three and a half miles, and I ran it without stopping. And man, I, I'm glad no, you know, nobody saw me in my backyard, but I got done, and I'm just jumping up and down. I did it. You know, I thought I'd run a marathon or something like that, but there was a endurance that had to be born and grown into the muscles of my body and in my lung capacity in order to make that happen. And Paul says, when, when God allows the suffering, one of the byproducts is going to be endurance. You're going to be able to stand for the long haul. I was talking to a friend earlier this week, and we're about the same age. In fact, we might be exactly the same age. I'm not sure what, I'm 52. He's right about there. And and I said to him, do you remember when none of our friends had cancer? And he said, you remember when none of our friends we're divorced. I said, "You remember when all of our friends were still alive, and we kind of went back and forth together? And the whole point was, as life goes on, difficult, difficult things happen. When I was 23, 24 years old, no, no disrespect to younger folks, but life was was not that tough. I didn't. I, none of these difficult things had happened yet in my life." And yet my faith, I think, today is deeper than it was when I was 22 or 23, although I was pretty sure then I was, I was super Christian. <laughs> I was under a terrible misconception. But because of the challenges, because of, the, because of the, the storms that have come my way and God has used those to create within me an endurance that will be a lasting thing that is to his glory. And so our suffering produces endurance. But he goes on to say in verse 4, that's not the end of it. Endurance produces character. Again, somewhat of an odd word in the Greek, but it, but it literally means proved under testing. Uh, one of the ideas you might get is if you have uh, 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 some gold in your possession and you want to make sure it's pure, you heat it up. And then, and then the, the, the smith begins to scrape the dross off the top. It's the fire that actually creates the purity. And that's the idea here that Paul is saying that, that this endurance, uh, this proving under testing, uh, the new life that is in Christ is revealed through the fire. You, you actually have more of an assurance of your salvation when you walk through these difficult times and you see the grace of God working in your life and you come out on the other side and you're, and you're still with Jesus. You say there's a sense of character. Uh, maybe every one of us at one point or time in another in our life has, has said this as we look at a challenge in front of us. Maybe it's a, a, a school challenge uh, to get certain grades or maybe it's a, an opportunity in a career. Uh, but, but we've probably all said at one time or another, this is gonna give me a chance to see what I'm made of. Have you ever had that thought before? And Paul is saying in a sense that this endurance produces a character you're going to get to see what you're made of in Christ. You're going to see the work that he's doing in your heart. He's changing you. He's transforming you. And all of that is going to come bubbling up in your life as the struggles come. You think about this in the life of Jesus. The author of Hebrews says this, Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Think about that for just a minute. That's, a, that's an amazing statement. I, I, I may get the courage to preach on that someday, that Jesus could actually learn obedience. But he says it came through suffering. Later on in Hebrews in chapter 12, the author says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame so that he could sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such torment from evil men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The character of Jesus, which is exemplified throughout all of the Gospels in its glory, found its most perfect moment when he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross for you and for me. And God says that character of the Lord Jesus, as we say, Father, this this isn't how I planned it. I wouldn't have worked it this way but I'm trusting you even in the midst of the storm. And Jesus says, hey, look, dad, (laughs) there's my character on one of our kids. Look at what the gospel is producing in his life and in her life for their endurance and for your glory. See that the character of Christ shining through. But there's one other part of this strategy that that God has fully in mind and is intentional. Not only does suffering produce endurance and endurance produce character, but the second half of verse four, character produces hope. You know, one of the main things that suffering does in my life, I don't know if it does this in your life or not, but it redirects my focus and it reminds me that I'm not home. It reminds me that this is not all there is. I, I was watching a movie the other night uh, on TV, The Bucket List, which is um, uh, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson, and they play two two older guys. One, uh, Jack Nicholson's character is Edward Cole, and um, Morgan Freeman is a guy named uh, Carter Chambers, and they both are, are I think, probably in their sixties, and they both find out their cancers back, and they just have a few months to live, and 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 Freeman's character Chambers has some kind of faith. And, and he's talking about this faith to, uh, to Jack Nicholson because they're on Nicholson's plane. Nicholson's like a billionaire. Uh, and, and they're flying all over the world to try and get in all these activities before they die. The bucket list. What do you want to do before you die? So they go, they race cars and they go skydiving and they go see the Taj Mahal and they do all these, these incredible things. But Chambers is coming back to, you know what, there, there's more than this. And, and, and Edwards, car- Nicholson's character says, no. It's not how it works. I I don't have any faith. And and then the quote that that he utters at that moment is, you live, you die, and the wheels on the bus go round and round. Friends, that's a hopeless statement. If that's true, then we should take the advice, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Instead of dealing with our pain and the real issues of this broken world, we ought to do everything we can to sedate ourselves and just try to avoid as long as possible that fateful moment. But Scripture tells us that suffering reminds us that that is simply not the truth. God's work through suffering corrects the focus in my heart. I get fixated on the here and now, and I ignore the true aim of grace. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians, If for this life we have hope in Christ, we above all men are to be pitied says if we just believe in jesus for what we can get out of it in this life we are absolute fools what is he saying is this, this this suffering produces what it produces hope because it reminds us that there is something much greater something much more beautiful and the object and the aim of grace is to get us face to face with jesus for all of eternity uh, you all know that i'm a c.s lewis fan and i and i brought with me this morning uh, his, uh, one of the books of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Last Battle. I just want to read a paragraph out of it for you. Uh, it, the scene is that, that the, the, the characters in the movie, or the, in the movie, the characters in the, in the book uh, aren't really quite sure where they are. They're entering heaven and they don't quite yet understand what's happened to them and what's going on around them. So there's a bit of confusion. And Aslan, who's the Christ figure, uh, comes to kind of straighten them out and explain to them what's happened. And he says this, uh, there really, there was a real railway accident. They had been killed in a accident, railway accident. They didn't realize that. There was a real railway accident. Said Aslan softly, "Your father and your mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead." And then he says this, which is just wonderful: "The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning." the suffering in my life, the suffering in your life, the suffering in the life of a disciple reminds us, Paul says very clearly, that there is a hope. There is a future event coming. The glory of God, which is now beginning to reside in us and take shape and take root in our hearts, will one day find its fullest expression when we see him face to face. And our suffering reminds us of that truth. Well, that's God's strategy, the suffering to endurance, endurance to character, character to hope. What's the net result? Well, look at verse 5 with me for just a moment. Paul writes this, and this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given for us. Hope does not put us to shame. Some of your translations might say hope does not disappoint us. In other words, our hope is well-founded. How do we know that? How do we know that there is a day coming when we will see Christ face to face? Well, it's because God, because of his love for us, has given us a deposit of that relationship through the Holy Spirit. What does it say? God's agape, God's love has been poured out to us through the giving of the Holy Spirit. It's been poured out to us. It hasn't been kind of trickled there. It hasn't kind of dripped slowly. It hasn't been given sparingly, but it has been lavished upon us. It has been poured upon us by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What does that mean? It means that in the suffering, in the struggle, not only do we have Jesus as an example, but we have the Spirit of Jesus living within us that carries us through the suffering that empowers us to face the day that allows our suffering to turn into endurance and grows our endurance into the character and the image of Jesus Christ, all of which rests upon the sure and certain hope that Jesus has redeemed us for all of eternity. God does not save us and leave us to our own devices. I told you I trained to run this 5k race, right? Which is not a huge deal, but uh, we did it over Thanksgiving. I maybe have told you a story before and we did the the uh, turkey day trot and nate and katie and i all ran together they were both still in college and and uh, you know i was kind of nervous there's you know a few hundred people there um and like you know i've never done this before but they, they dad will be with you don't worry it'll be okay Well, we start running and you know it takes a little while for kind of the crowd to thin out and everybody kind of hit their pace so i finally hit my stride i hit my pace and i'm going you know at a comfortable pace and katie runs with me for about 50 yards and then she looks at me she goes i can't take this you're way too slow and off she goes <laughs> And Nate said, don't worry, Dad, I'll stay with you, which he did until about a half mile before the ending when he saw a cute girl run by. And then he said, now, Dad, you can make it to the finish line. I'll see you later. Actually, before he left me, he said, just pick somebody out in front of you that you'd be really embarrassed if they beat you and pass them. So he gave me a little bit of advice. It was nice, but they abandoned me. My children left me. Sometimes, I go, God, are you there? <laughs> have you left me? It's pretty dark. The challenges are pretty steep. Not only have I set you the example, but I'm right here with you. The Spirit of God dwells within you. The reason that that character is coming out of your life is because I'm present in your heart. Friends, this is actually actually a, a passage of great hope and great promise for us this morning because uh, we're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. Everybody's going to suffer. At some point or another, there are going to be problems and issues in our lives. That is is just a fact. And at the end of the day, every person in this room is going to die. You're going to face that suffering, regardless of what else you do the rest of your life, to insulate yourself from the the trials and the struggles of the world. What God has done by making us right with Christ is that he is giving us the ability to, To rejoice in those deep, difficult moments. Not be giddy, not be superficial, but be resting and assured in Him that He does not leave us and He does not abandon us. I would not want to go through this life and all the struggles apart from Christ for all the money in the world because it is hopeless. It is, we live, we die, and the wheels on the bus go round and round. So let me encourage you this morning to apply this passage. It may be that you just need to go back and study it a little bit more. Maybe maybe you've never looked at that passage of Scripture before and seen what God wants to build in your life through the struggles. And I would encourage you to to wrestle with this passage to to get your mind around it. Secondly, I want to remind us just briefly that that this also gives us a springboard for godly care and, and compassion for those who are suffering. Remember, rejoicing is not just you know throwing your hands up and go, oh, isn't it all wonderful? No, at times it isn't very wonderful. And if that's how we re- react to people's struggles and suffering, uh, God forbid that we would be so shallow. But understanding this truth allows us to engage with one another in a compassionate way. Yeah, it's hard. It's rotten. I don't know why it's happened. But I know the Lord Jesus won't leave us and I'll walk alongside you. And you'll walk alongside me as we struggle together. And then I'm going to give one other application. And I want to be very, I wrote, I wrote down in my notes, be very careful uh, next to the statement, because I think one of the uh, responses for this passage has to be repentance. It has to be a willingness to look at my heart and realize there have been moments where I've said, as I've looked at my suffering, God, you're evil. God, you've done me wrong. This shouldn't have happened this way. This is an injustice. And I've called into question The character of my father and the character of my lord jesus christ And maybe you've done that too and maybe that's where you are this morning That's why I want to be very try to be very tender and very careful Because I understand that I get it. It is understandable And i'm not judging anyone this morning that feels they're that way I have felt that way for i'm not Here to say you know what you're so wrong. You just need to get your act together Please don't hear that I I don't judge what I want to say is look at the cross of Christ. Look at the distance that God traveled to save you. Look at the extent to which he went, giving his son on the cross in exchange for you. Do you really think, do I really think God would go that far and love me that deeply and then ignore my now the ongoing great need to grow strong in my faith? suffering is allowed by God because he has a very specific purpose in our lives, and that's to love us in Christ Jesus and provide us with all that is necessary that we get safely home. Let's pray together.